from the National Association of Evangelicals, welcome to today's conversation. Our topic, how to be a money-wise Christian. Host Leith Anderson, NAE President, talks with Brad Hewitt, CEO of Thrivent Financial. Let's join in. I'm Leith Anderson, President of the NAE, here with Brad Hewitt. Since 2010, Brad has been President and CEO of Thrivent Financial, which is a nonprofit Fortune 500 organization. Thrivent is a financial services organization that helps Christians be wise with money and live generously. Before joining Thrivent, he served a variety of organizations in various financial roles. Brad was named CFO of Diversified Pharmaceutical Services in 1993, and later he became its president and CEO. He also served for five years as chief administrative officer of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Brad currently serves on several boards, including Concordia University and Habitat for Humanity International. He is also co-author of the excellent book entitled uh, Your New Money Mindset. Brad is someone who thinks about money with his head, but also examines money's relationship with his heart. And that's what we're here to talk about. So thanks for being with us, Brad. Oh, it is absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, first of all, a little about Thrivent. It's a really unique organization, being both a nonprofit and a Fortune 500 company. I think it is the only one that shares those two categories. So how does all that work? Yeah, I think so, too. Well, it's it's interesting. You have to start at the beginning, and we were founded by a group of of immigrants who were trying to put Christian principles into into action, uh, specifically Galatians 6.2, trying to figure out how do we bear one another's burdens uh, and in a really practical way. And so that that was our founding 117 years ago. And, and as we've been doing that with more and more Christians, we, we just grew and we, we've grown from kind of that early founding, as I'd almost call it a widows and orphans fund, into a full-service fraternal benefit society that serves Christians, and and we do it in the insurance and banking and investments and all the other aspects of of, uh, modern economy where where Christians have to make choices. All right, so you personally have gone through a journey of thinking about the heart's relationship with money. So I I know that you're an expert on the financial side, but often the people that are in the experts they're the experts on the financial side, I don't know, maybe they don't seem to have quite the heart for it. So tell us a little about that. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's, it's serving. We serve over two million Christians, and as we, we were serving and and sorting out how, especially how to reach the next generation of Christians, um, we started a process that looked at some of the relationships people have with money and how how they make decisions about money, et cetera. And we stumbled across uh, what we call, what we discovered were five basic mindsets of, of money. And, uh, and we quickly realized that this had nothing to do with how much money you had, which, which was a little bit surprising. And then when we dove into it a little bit more, we quickly realized it was it was both a mindset and I would say a heart set around how money played a role in their life. And those those five, what we call the money mindsets, and that's the uh, point of the book, 
goes from what we called surviving to struggling to stable to sur uh, secure and surplus. And what's, like I said, what's interesting about that, it was all about the heart and, and very little about their actual practical amount of money. So the Bible says actually a lot about money. <laughs> it you know, sure I, does. I, I think sometimes we think the Bible says a lot about some things. It doesn't say much about it at all. And maybe we don't think of it as a book that's a lot about finances, but but it is. So um, give us from Genesis to Revelation, everything the Bible says about finance. No. Well, what are some of the basic principles here? You know, um, one of one of my favorite books is is a book called Economic Parables: The The Monetary Teachings of Jesus Christ, which I think it's, I just like it because of the title. It just so it seems so out of place, you know. But but it it uh, in the book it it takes each of Jesus's parables and it starts breaking them down and how how fundamentally when Jesus was instructing his disciples through parables and the crowds, uh, especially he used incredibly uh, consistent economic themes to help describe the journey of a disciple. And, and I think that's actually one of the most uh, important things is that, is that like in most parables, it's complicated. There's no just simple formula to put things into practice, uh, especially when it comes to money. But I, I think a few of the really solid biblical principles that, that I've come across. In fact, the, the one that motivated me to, to write the book and to, to be really take this next step of the heart step was uh, Proverbs 11, uh, 24, which um, says, is the, you know, the world of the generous gets bigger and bigger and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And, and I, I really think that principle is something that you see kind of throughout the whole of Scripture in that God is a generous God, and as we start to live and imitate his son and and how he lived, we discover generosity is one of the ways to keep money as a tool instead of becoming our treasure. And I think that's the other theme is is that, that this the concept of when Jesus talked to the rich or told the parable of the of the of the uh the steward, the the un unethical steward, he he says you can't. He said you can't serve God and money. And I think that that becomes the the real nub of throughout Scripture of how do we keep money as as a tool instead of a treasure. All right. So bringing the biblical ideas and biblical principles into the 21st century, uh, and what are some of the main financial principles that you've learned because I mean that was an agricultural society that was 2000 years ago right um, believing in the Bible I believe it's relevant for today but particularly those things that you would say to guide other people in the 21st century in America well and again I think we we sometimes take some of those uh, those agricultural principles and some of the the, thing, the themes in scripture and then and try to apply them in some ways really specifically like so the whole idea of tithing um, I get asked a lot you know what, what about tithing and and I I somewhat facetiously some say, sometimes say well I don't actually believe in tithing uh, I think the new con the New Testament concept is a hundred percent not ten and you know and then but tends a good place to start, and uh, and the the practical reality of 
of kind of the new, what I would say the new economy is, is the, the heart part, which is where we started this, hasn't changed, whether it was from Jesus' time or if you read, if you read in David and Solomon's time, or even back into Genesis, like you said, so, so much of the the heart part of it is exactly say, the same. the 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 actual systems of managing our resources have changed pretty dramatically, and so part of what we try to do is separate, in essence, the the heart concepts from the practical concepts and and uh, and those principles and so a few of the and w there are a lot of uh, systems out there for from you know Ron Blue Institute or or financial peace that are that are great systems for uh what I call the biblical principles but but I think where where we would say if if you really get down to that discipleship journey it really comes down to one is owning your own story and and really understanding what what's enough and the the second one is is just like in most things is you know what do you want to change where are you repenting and what 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 do you want to actually change and how how who and how are you going to actually make that change and then the last is in most discipleship journeys is who else can i help and and serve and so when we put really practical biblical principles into action we we always try to do it in in that construct because i think that's the the heart of the discipleship journey and then the next part is we try to really practically do an assessment for what are the places where the people are challenged? It might be in debt. It might be in getting an emergency savings fund. It it might be in living below your means. It might be in a wide variety of things. And and so we try to put the a, a real, real practical assessment in in people's hands so that they can figure out where to start. No, that was a long answer to a simple question, but it. Um, it, it is important in some ways to recognize that it's a journey and it's not just a, a list of seven things or five things that if you just get these right, it all magically works. Well, I especially appreciate your tying finances to discipleship because I think often devoted Christians uh, don't. They, they see money as one category of life and they see discipleship as another category of life and maybe there's a 10% overlap. But let, let's talk about something else and that's pastors specifically. Um, at the National Association of Evangelicals, we have this project that's called NAE Financial Health, and it's geared to providing solutions to pastors and churches primarily. And there are a lot of pastors, we find, that are really struggling with their finances. And it may be because they have uh, outstanding student loans, that's an issue in our generation, or medical expenses, often combined with low salaries. So how do you instruct people who have limited resources, significant demands, but limited resources, and they feel stuck financially, but they also feel that they have a really strong calling from God, and seems like those things can be in conflict. Oh, absolutely. It, you know, and and I was just looking at back at some of the statistics in in the book, and you know, the the reality is is that I'm not sure pastors quite honestly, are all that different from anybody else who's in that mid to, to low income. For those that are in the mid to low income, while 
you know, anyone can have the surplus mindset. Money is not the key driver of, of that. The reality is it becomes really hard to, to do that if you're at a middle or low income. And so the, the, the challenge is to actually put into practice the, the, the habits that you need in order to, to really have be contented and confident and, and, and all are, are, just, are just really difficult. And one of the drivers of this, and in fact, it's a it's an article I saw um, a, a couple months ago. It was it was in the Atlantic, and it was called the Seven Deadly Social Networks. And it was a great article because it was a it was a it was a fun, somewhat funny article, but but I I immediately kind of got it because they were quoting the LinkedIn co-founder as saying, basically, we've we've already got all the social networks we're going to going to have because each of them tap into one of the seven deadly sins and uh and and it's uh and 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 you know basically the seven deadly sins are the things we self-actualize for so they're perfectly uh perfectly suited to do that and the 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 one that caught me though was is almost all of them are geared towards what i would call the comparison economy and I think I think pastors and all of us are 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 not are not exempt from an, a society where comparison is just so easy and so rampant with technology. And 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 quite honestly, I think that's again one of the biblical principles that we see is is in your calling. It's not you're not supposed to compare yourself to, <laughs> to someone else. And uh, and I think that's what sometimes make, makes money management so difficult because it's so hard not to compare to somebody else. I, I, I just I love that scene and you know at the end of the John's Gospel when <laughs> John and Peter are there and Peter can't help but saying, "But what about him?" <laughs> and and I think that's that's some of the really practical context that we live in. So now it's really specific to your question about pastors. I think this is true for almost everybody in that same circumstance, not just pastors. And I think one of the hard hard things that we um, need to do is, is we just generally don't have places to talk about it. And pastors generally don't talk about it, at least in my experience. Um, and I think, I, th I don't think that's working. And so um, getting good habits for middle and moderate income folks is so critical and it's so hard in our society right now. So I wish I had a really good simple solution for this and I frankly we're working on it trying to add seeing if there's some technology that could actually help that but but I think it's a real challenge in our in our churches right now. Specifically in terms of retirement a lot of pastors and I guess a lot of other people as well are wondering how are they going to fund the retirement? So what are the, I guess, practical financial tools that people should know about? And this is related to a concern of people living from paycheck to paycheck. So how right. do they fund for the future? But it's also, we're increasingly facing the issue of living longer. So right. even people that planned well, or so it seems a generation ago, they were not expecting to live as long as they're living. So what, what counsel, what, what can Thrive and do or anybody else do to address that issue? Yeah, and, and, and there's a, a few practical things. You have to 
you have to start earlier. I mean, that's one of the one of the challenges that we see is people start thinking about retirement five or ten years out, and by that time, your options start to be limited. But but so so let's talk really practically. Uh, and so one of the things that we know from from our research, from working with with everyone, and by the way, Thrivent mainly serves middle to low income folks. Um, that's that's generally who we serve. And the one thing that we know that is probably 25 times more important than kind of everything else that that we see in terms of habits is what I mentioned just a little bit ago. It's it's living below your means, um, and and that is one of those things that if you can do that for a period of time before you retire, it actually makes a really big difference because really practically if you can have your house paid for and you, you retire and you can and a pastor, assuming not all pastors are eligible for social security but if you have social security and a and a little bit of of savings you can pretty much make it through retirement uh except for uh long-term care and so you know the other the the other really practical thing is to try to try to afford in those last 10 or 15 years of your life to buy a long-term care uh, policy. And and um, and that's something we, we actually work aggressively with. Most of the long-term care providers are Christian uh, institutions and trying to help, help uh, again, be hospitable to people in, in, in older age is, is really important. But again, from a from our standpoint, that's a perfect product to actually for Christians to pool their resources and help those people who who end up with a long-term um, in a long-term care situation that's that's often very expensive. Um, and then and then there's a bunch of other things that people people can do in in retirement. Is there are product very specific products. My my biggest and most probably important counsel is to actually sit down and talk to a professional. And I know that that's sometimes people feel like they don't have enough resources to, to actually sit down and talk to a professional. But our observation is with just a little bit of good professional uh, counseling and choices, people can often avoid making some of the real big mistakes as you move towards retirement. And uh, I, I, whether it's a kingdom advisor or a thriving advisor or somebody uh, else out there um, that's a professional, I think that's the I, I would, I mean, I do it, <laughs> and I, I can't imagine, uh, as, as somebody who knows a lot about this stuff, I still feel like I need to do it. I can't imagine if somebody, this isn't their expertise to not have some professional advice. All right, let's look at the other end. So we've talked about the retirement end, and of course, starting early is one of the basic principles. Well, what about starting salary? So I, I talk to and I hear about parents. It used to be that you would say, well, where is your son or daughter going after high school to college, and and what are they going to major in? And and increasingly, parents are saying, well, I don't care what they major in, as long as they can get a good starting salary. It it becomes not liberal arts or interest. It becomes what will starting pay be uh, as soon as they graduate from college, if in fact they're going to college. So is is that the big deal, or how, how does that figure in all this? So we've we've actually started a, a business uh, to help with student student debt and student lending because we actually think that's one of the biggest 
places people are making unwise decisions. And, uh, and I think where that mindset comes from is, is if you have a big student debt, you have to practically think about how am I going to pay that back? You know, one of the, one of the key biblical principles is debt is dangerous because it enslaves you and and it enslaves you just the way you described is I can't choose my calling. I have to choose something that uh, is going to pay the bills. And, and so I, I I personally worry about that a lot. And that's why we've entered into that, uh, into that business. The kind of the key places where people make unwise choices are student loans, you know, the, a mortgage, most of the mortgage advice people get is, is way too much house for what they could really afford. Again, it's just, it's really interesting how those simple choices can actually create a whole system where pay becomes the driving force. And so again, for, you know, ideally, I think the way you make decisions are what's God calling you to do <laughs> and pay is, is simply an outcome of that. I, I think practically in the world, it's, it's flip-flop now and, and, and that really concerns me. And I think so much of that has to do with, um, with, with the student debt crisis that, that we're in and, and the way people are financing higher education. So that's a personal opinion, but that's, that seems to me to be uh, what's driving it. Well, you have smart personal opinions. So let's talk a little <laughs> bit more about borrowing. Um, I didn't hear you say, don't borrow. I kind of think you're saying, just be careful what you borrow or what you borrow for. Is that right? And what, yeah, what's, I mean, what's good borrowing look like? Yeah, I, you know, this is challenging because as you as you read scripture, it kind of gives you um, it gives you multiple different <laughs> versions of of advice around this. Like a lot of things, it's like it's complicated, and and so I think when you get really practical about it, I, I think the principle is debt's very dangerous uh, for for a bunch of reasons. So while I I don't necessarily think debt is a sin. I think it debt becomes um, something that we have to manage very carefully. And so, what would be good debt? Um, and, and my observation is, for, again, this is from more practical experience in in working with folks. Is is debt seems to work pretty well for things that are where you want to invest. So I would describe it as an investment in a, in an appreciating asset. Now, an appreciating asset could be a student who's getting a degree and that and that and that asset appreciates with a degree, but of course then the debt has to be proportional to the income that's going to come out of it. So back to the pastor question you asked, Leith, it given the current pay of most pastors and what what they're what they're likely to walk into in society and et cetera. It, it's hard for me to see how you could actually go and pay uh, and, and pay for school with lots of debt and walk out and be a pastor and not be burdened um, uh, with that debt and and it become a, a real a real burden. However, if you're if you're going into if you're going into Stanford and you're getting a nuclear science degree or something, a little debt's probably not that risky and not that dangerous because you're you're likely to walk out with a with a with a good paying job if that's your calling and and so and I would say that's true with a, with a house. It's true with a few things where you have 
some degree an appreciating asset with a time limit that you can you can actually proportionately put the the debt to. So that's again a, a really practical answer. I, I I I wish I could support all of those with with kind of scriptural principles, but but I think that's that's um, an essence of what I've what I've seen from the, the scriptural principles in putting it into practice. Well, related to the debt issue is how we all live in terms of the means that we have to live at a certain uh, level of society. So, yeah, you've talked about living below your means. So, how do you do that? What, what does that actually look like? Well, well, one is it becomes it's everybody we so we did some research on this. And it's really interesting, the people who are at that surplus mindset, every one of them, as we as we looked at people and we just looked at those people specifically and started interviewing and talking to them, every one of them self-described themselves as being very countercultural and intentionally living well below their means. And so what, what they did, and again, this was at all income levels, they would... They would, whatever their means were, they would actually tr intentionally try to live below that. So making individual choices to say, well, I could afford this, I'm not going to do it. And and that's that's what it means, and that's why it becomes harder when you when you start dropping below the the median income, it becomes much more difficult to make those choices simply because housing is expensive, healthcare is expensive, all the things that are, ex that are expensive, and so practically speaking you get to a certain level and it's 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 nearly impossible to do that if you're if you're making ten thousand dollars a year it's it's virtually impossible but but that that intentionality mindset around i'm going to intentionally live well below my means does does two things one is is it builds margin into the system so you don't get set back because of emergencies or others. And frankly, what it does, it's it's really fascinating. It cultivates this mindset of abundance and generosity, which which I actually think are the, the keys. And in fact what 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 we've been studying more and more is how generosity, gratitude, what we call group, you know, having a social network that actually supports what you're trying to do and, and grace, those four G's actually are some of the fundamentals to sustaining living well below your means. And, um, and I think that's uh, part of the secret of, of being countercultural in, in living below your means. So that's a long answer, but it's, it's one that, we find again 25 times more important than just about anything any other financial advice you could give well that's really helpful and practical although not all was easy i was having a conversation just recently with someone and i said you know there's this guy i was reading about he lives in a really modest home and uh been there for decades and lives in omaha and they said what's his name i said it's warren buffett so I mean, here is someone who has clearly lived below his means. Right. Um, so there, there are amazing examples of that. You're a researcher. You've mentioned several times in research, and Thrivent uh, does a lot of research. So let's talk, uh, sort of wrapping things up here, on what research is out there on individuals and the relationship to money, and especially the question, are people with more money happier than people that don't have so much money? 
The answer is yes for a really, really short time. <laughs> and and that's actually part of the problem. And and uh, when I worked at the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, I, I sat um, next to the chief theologian. And I remember asking him one time what the definition of a heresy was. And he said, oh, that's that's easy. It's it's when you take half the truth and you make it the whole. And, and I think that's the, the fundamental of the research that we've discovered is, is that there's a lot of things about money that are half-truths, like it will make you happier. And what we do is, is we, we make them the whole truth. So what you find is if you get a raise, you're happier and you quickly adjust to that. And, and, and in fact, the more you get, the faster it goes away. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, more is not going to make you happy. And yet in our research, we, we find almost everybody believes if they had more money, they'd be happier. And, and one of the research studies we did, it said, basically, if you're, if you're, a little bit above average, you, you, you've gotten all the happiness you're going to get out of money. So in, in America, it's, it's about household income of about $75,000 a year. You, you've gotten all the happiness you're going to get out of money. It's just, it's just shocking um, for most people. Um, the, the, the other thing is, is that we find is, is that people believe money will make them feel secure and what's fascinating about that one is, is that, again, it, it does, but for a very short period of time. And, and I'm not sure that there is such a thing as financial security. Um, and in fact, what you find is, is that that's the topic for people who have a lot of money. They're very worried about financial security, which is very counterintuitive. Our guest on today's conversation has been Brad Hewitt, the CEO of Thrivent Financial. I'm Leith Anderson, and on behalf of us all, very special thanks to Brad. The National Association of Evangelicals is where we use influence for good. Today's conversation is one of many ways we connect and represent evangelical Christians in the United States. To discover more NAE topics and resources for you and your church, please follow along on Twitter at NAEvangelicals or on our Facebook page for the National Association of Evangelicals. And sign up for our email list when you visit our website at nae.net.